Hello, and welcome to the CBC The Rim podcast. We're glad you found us. CBC The Rim is a church in San Antonio, Texas. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us at cbctherim.com. We hope you enjoy the message. No, 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 no. Uh, well, hey, if you have a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to grab it and meet me in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Well, uh, we are two weeks into a sermon series uh, that we've just called The Gift. And last week we talked about anticipation and this response of responding with anticipation to the Christmas story. And today we're going to talk about expectation. And if I'm honest with you guys, um, I did not know the difference between anticipation and expectation. I figured I would just re-preach last week's sermon again this week. But as I kind of began to research and go, okay, what is the difference and dig down, this is kind of what I landed on. And so I have a definition. So anticipation is looking toward or looking forward with excitement to what is coming. And expectation is a strong belief or faith that something will happen. So to kind of put it simply, anticipation is about hope. Expectation is about faith. And this is, this is my hope. This is what I'm zeroing in. This is in the listener guide if you got one of those. Is our expectations of Jesus shape our encounters with Jesus, which ultimately determine how we experience Jesus. So therefore, our expectations have to be aligned by God's word and driven by God's glory. Now, real quick, I'll be honest with you. I wrote that statement on Tuesday to meet a deadline, okay? And it's wordy. And it's complicated, and I think it was complicated all in hopes that you would think that I sounded like smart and that maybe it would impress you. But if I had to boil that down and just simplify it today, here's what I'm aiming for in our next few moments together. That all of us in this room, that we are all in some form of a season, we're all in some form of a season of waiting And we all have expectations in that waiting. The question is, how do we wait well? How do we wait well? Because we all have expectations. It's impossible not to. We have expectations for a job or a future job. We have expectations for a family or future family, marriage or future marriage. And expectations aren't a bad thing. We just have to make sure that our expectations and our hope are placed on the right thing and pointed in the right direction. And so here's what I want to try to answer tonight. What if, as a church, we could learn to wait with a glorious expectation. Like, what if we could learn to wait with a glorious expectation? Now, if many of you, you know me well and you know this about me, I love Christmas. Absolutely love it, every part of it. I love the music, I love the food, I love the drinks, I love the decoration, all of it. And so for me, as much as I love Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is just like John the Baptist. Like it's just a precursor of something greater to come, which is Christmas, okay? And so there are three types of people in, in the world, I believe. There are those of you that you like started listening to Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving. Any of those in the room? Okay, some of those, okay. Now the other people are those that started listening to Christmas music the week of 
any of those. Like a week before, you were already listening to Christmas music, okay? And the, the, the third type is those that have been listening since July, okay? And so that's me. Yeah, okay. I love it. And so the day, I mean, it's day after Thanksgiving, the house gets completely flipped, the house, or the, sorry, the tree goes up, the gifts get wrapped, and all of a sudden the pumpkins and the leaves, they kind of leave and they're replaced with garland and lights. And then now, right now, the only thing between me and Christmas is waiting. Like, that's it. Now, I'm going to just ask out of curiosity, when it comes to waiting for Christmas, another quick poll. By show of hands, how many of you have a really hard time waiting for Christmas? Like you're already giddy, you're pumped, you're excited. Okay, just a few of you. How about, how about this? How about when you look back when you were a kid? As a kid, it was really hard for you to wait for Christmas. Okay. Man, some of you, you're just heartless. Uh, you're like, I don't even care. Um, we didn't even celebrate Christmas as a kid. Um, let me ask you this. How many of you, out of curiosity, you were the type of kid that you would unwrap your gifts secretly and then you would kind of view them see what they were maybe even play with them and then wrap them back Kelly I know I knew it I knew it I'm not surprised at all my point is this as kids we're really bad at waiting and I think in some ways that's just a foreshadowing of how bad we are at waiting as adults because if we're honest today that's where many of us are like we're in the waiting and it's not necessarily waiting for Christmas. And it's not waiting for gifts underneath the tree. No, for some of us, listen, we talked about this last week. This is a dark season. This is a really difficult season to enter. And for some of you, this is like the first year that you're going to experience it without that loved one. And there's kind of just a lot of nervousness and fear as you step into the season. And then there are many of us that as far as we can remember, this has been a dark season. Like somewhere down the road, we lost count, and this has just become our new normal. But we're all waiting. And some of us were waiting on diagnosis. Some maybe were waiting on a phone call or a healing or waiting on a relationship to start or maybe one to stop. I know some of us that are waiting on spouses to walk back through the door. Many of you that are waiting on a baby to fill a long-completed nursery, we're just waiting waiting on an addiction to be broken or pain to heal, or maybe you're waiting on God to actually show up and bring you the joy and fulfillment that was promised to you the day you surrendered your life to Jesus. And some of us, listen, like we, we can't even pinpoint what we're waiting on. Like, like you can't even, like you, you just haven't found it yet. You just have this deep, numbing angst or low-grade anxiety that he's just consistently carrying. And can I be honest today? Waiting is incredibly difficult. I mean, it sucks. Because in the waiting, what we want to happen just hasn't happened yet. The expectation that we have hasn't been met yet. And a waiting can be especially hard at Christmas, especially when everyone around you is singing joy to the world and wearing festive sweaters and seems like they don't have a care in the world. And you can easily feel all alone. But tonight, what if? What if we really could learn to wait with a glorious expectation? And so in Luke chapter 2, there's a Christmas story for those who wait. And it's not the Luke 
chapter 2 story, Christmas story that you're probably used to, but I want to submit to you tonight that just maybe, maybe this is your Christmas story. So let me set the scene for what we're about to read. This story takes place exactly 40 days after Jesus' birth, before he was born in Bethlehem in a feed trough. And he's five and a half weeks old. He's holding his head up. He's beginning to smile. He's getting between four to six hours of sleep. So the baby-wise schedule is kicked in. And Mary and Joseph are starting to feel more human than they've felt in a while. And because Mary and Joseph are good Jewish parents and Jesus is a good Jewish baby, they're following good Jewish laws like good Jews do. And the law said that the baby boys had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And then 33 days later, the mother of the baby boy had to present herself at the temple in order to complete her purification process. And if mom and dad were financially well off, they would present a lamb to the priest for a sacrifice. If they were as dirt as poor, or poor as dirt, rather, um, like Mary and Joseph were, then instead they would give two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest for their sacrifice. So that's kind of going to give you a little bit of context as we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. This is what it says. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, talking about Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons and a partridge in a pear tree. So I didn't say that as a joke. I added that just to make sure you're paying attention. Um, but here's the deal. This seems a little foreign to us, but this is a part of everyday life for Mary and Joseph. Like they grew up in a culture of circumcision, man, the purification rites on the 40 days. Like Jesus is probably one of seven or eight babies that were at the temple that week. So there's nothing special to see here. Like nothing except, except there was someone waiting for them to arrive. There's someone watching for Jesus. There's someone for whom this was no ordinary baby and no ordinary day and no ordinary trip to the temple. But what I want you to see is this person we're going to meet is very ordinary. It's an obscure, unknown person in the Bible, an ordinary person like you and I, which I think gives me hope that I can relate to. And so we meet Simeon, and we don't know a lot about him, uh, this is the one and only time he shows up in the scripture. But here's what we do know. Verse 25, it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that Simeon's old, but I, I think it's safe to assume that he probably is. And I want you like, just to imagine, use your imagination. Can you imagine what this moment would have been like? Like the Bible says that Simeon's home, kind of minding his own business, and all of a sudden he's led to the temple by the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit just shows up, gut punches him, says, let's go to the temple. He walks in, probably tons of families, and tons of babies, and one, one is spotlight, spotlighted, as though God's saying, this is the one. This is the one. Now, I want you to think about this. Okay? Out of all the families, he sees this. He sees this baby. And this old man, first of all, had to convince two brand new, probably overly protective parents to let him unbuckle Jesus out of his car seat and hold him. Like, this is crazy. Like, if you think about this, like, they don't know if he's a creeper. They don't know if he's a murderer, a kidnapper, or worse for two brand new parents. They have no idea if he's even washed his hands. But here's what we see. We see this picture of this old man, potentially with a tear coming out of his eyes, looking to heaven, holding this baby and saying this in the scripture, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Why? Because Simeon had spent a lifetime waiting, waiting on someone and like most Jews of his day, he's waiting on a political solution to a national problem. And in his mind, the Messiah in his arms is the political fix he's waiting on. And he's been waiting on this baby who's going to bring comfort and peace to Israel. And I love that today, just what Austin was talking about, we lit the second Advent candle. It was the, it was the candle of peace, of shalom, that all things are right. That that's what Simeon was waiting on. And so as Simeon waited, he's waiting on what God had promised to Israel for generations to generations. He knew the stories. He had heard the prophecies. He knew that one day the Redeemer, the hero, would show up. And through faith, Simeon waited. And through faith today, I think that his story tells us how we can wait better in our stories. So here's what we're going to do. Tonight, there are three ways I think that this text shows us and Simeon, or really maybe Simeon teaches us how to wait with a glorious expectation. With a glorious expectation. So if you're taking notes, point number one is this. We wait actively with expectation. We wait actively with expectation. Now in our society, waiting gets a really bad rap. Because waiting seems really passive, like doesn't it? Like if we think about this, like we don't really do anything while we wait. If we're waiting on a message, maybe we compulsively check our text, bo or our text messages or our DMs. If we're waiting on a diagnosis, we just sit and we wait and worry by the phone. Or if we're waiting on maybe a job promotion, then we kind of put our life on hold just waiting for our boss to get back to us. Waiting is associated with helplessness. And helplessness is a bad thing. But the Bible doesn't teach us that, like, that we should wait passively. Instead, it pushes the opposite. And one of my favorite verse or kind of passages is Psalm 37. And King David says this. I love it. I'm just going to read it over you. He says, Trust in the Lord and do good. 
Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And what I love about this passage is it's teaching us that waiting's not passive, that it's actually active. That if you look at the words that David uses, it's trust, cultivate, delight, commit, trust. So we ask ourselves the question, like who's the object of our trust. It's the Lord. What's our role in, in waiting? It's to trust actively and wait actively. So while we're trusting in the Lord, or while we put our expectations on him, we are called to do good, to be active. But the question you might ask is, how is that possible? And I used this last week, but I think it's helpful. If you think about uh, maybe tonight, right after this, uh, you know, it's like prime time to go grab dinner. And many of you, I love this. It's become a rhythm of our church that a lot of people go and grab dinner together. But let's say you go to a restaurant and you sit down. There's going to be a person that's assigned to your table. And their job is to take your drink order and to go get those drinks and bring them to you. They're going to take your food order and they're going to go place that order and they're going to bring the food back. They may even bring you throughout that whole process like unending breadsticks if you're super fancy like that, okay? Now, I want you to think about this. What's the job of this person? What are they called? They're called a waiter. And what is their responsibility? Their job is to wait on you. And their job is not passive. Their waiting on you is not passive. If it is passive, all of a sudden you start counting down their tip and it starts kind of going down. But the truth is like you expect them to lean in, to anticipate your needs, to serve you in the process of waiting. And the same is true for you and I. As we wait on the Lord, we serve him. It's an active pursuit. And it's important that we realize and note that Simeon wasn't a sedated senior citizen just sharing outdated memes on Facebook or playing pickleball or bingo at the local YMCA. Like, I mean, he's, he's not just wasting his life, twiddling his thumbs. No, he's praying over, fasting over, expecting Jesus. So one day, like he wakes up, he scarfs down his jello and his fiber one, and then he gets to work. Like, like this is what the scripture, like he's eagerly searching and patiently waiting. So let me ask you again, how good are you at waiting? Because if I'm honest, I'm horrible. Like I'm, I'm really bad at waiting. I, I don't do this well. I'm impatient. I get frustrated. And I love to multitask. I think Man, the microwave was one of the greatest inventions ever made. Amazon Prime, big fan, because I can get it today. And no waiting. And maybe you're like me and you don't like to wait either. And I think there is there's this part of it of slowing down. But I don't just mean, because I think it's real easy at Christmas time that you get this like Christmas sermon that's just like, hey, let's slow down and let's just drink more peppermint tea by the fire and contemplate the reason for the season. And we could all use more slowing down. We could all use getting rid of all of the hustle and the bustle and kill some of the activities of busyness. And I think we really could benefit from just stopping and learning to see what's important. But I want to ask you this question. 
how do your daily habits, like if you look at your life, you look at your calendar, the way that you spend your time, how do your daily habits prove or disprove your dependence on Jesus? Do your habits prove or disprove your dependence on Jesus? And listen, I just, if we're not actively seeking him throughout the year, then we can't expect just to show up at Christmas and find Jesus underneath the Christmas tree. Like if you and I, or if we're in the middle of a painful waiting period, how are you proving or disproving your dependence on Jesus? Are you running to him or from him? Are you approaching his throne of grace with confidence? Or are you retreating out of fear of punishment? Waiting actively doesn't mean we are helpless. It means that we fix our eyes on the only one that can help us. So are you actively looking for how God's promises apply to your situation? So number one is we wait actively. The second thing is we wait openly with expectation. Openly. Now, uh, if I'm honest, that, that one's a little weird and you're probably like, uh, openly, I don't get it. Well, let me explain. I think for many of us, we expect God to be completely predictable. That we expect that God should be completely predictable and fit into the little box that we've created that we assume he should fit in. And because of that, I think that it's very possible that when God does move in our lives, that we could completely miss it. Because it's not what we expected. Now here's something that I found fascinating during the study of the passage. In full disclosure, I don't have an answer. I just want you to dream with me, so I'm inviting you into it. Okay, from the Old Testament prophecies, we know that Israel expected Jesus to come as a baby. Okay, I'll just give you a couple. Genesis chapter 12 says that the Messiah would be born of Abraham's lineage. Second Samuel said that he would be a descendant of David. Isaiah 7 said he'd be born of a virgin. Isaiah 9 said that the promise is unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And Micah 5 says that he would be born in Bethlehem. But what we don't know is who the nation of Israel expected to meet when the Messiah first came on the scene. Like, did they actually expect an eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn, infant, baby Jesus, don't even know a word yet, okay? Like, or did they expect that the first time that they saw the Messiah, he'd be a full-grown adult? Like, the scripture's not clear. Like, we don't have the answer. But let's assume that they did expect to find an eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn, infant, baby Jesus. Did they expect that the Redeemer of all Israel would be born like, of like a bunch of peasants that couldn't even afford a proper sacrifice. Because here's the deal, even if he's a baby, like he's still a king, right? So shouldn't he be rolling up to the temple in a Range Rover with adaptive cruise control and heated seats and cooled seats, like, like right? Like Mary gets out and pulls him out of the Nuna car seat and puts him in the upper baby stroller all the while wearing her Burberry diaper bag. Like, like that's the vision. Like this is a king. But the problem is that's not what Simeon sees at all. 
Instead, he saw two kids that still smelled like a barn. And a good chance that there's like remnants of hay and animal hair still in Jesus' swaddling clothes as they dig for pennies and nickels just to pay a poor person's version of a sacrifice. And sure, I'm sure Jesus was probably cute, but not especially cute. Because Isaiah 53 would say that there's no, there was no special beauty or form that would make us even notice him. So in other words, watch this. I wonder if what Simeon was waiting for is what Simeon was given. And let me unpack it a little bit further. Simeon in verse 30, this is what he says. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And it's really easy for us to miss over what just happened here. Because some of this makes sense to us, right? Like you read this and you go, my eyes have seen your salvation. And I think we can agree that Jesus is salvation. Salvation wasn't just an act performed on the cross. Jesus, like, salvation has a name and its name is Jesus. Then we see that Jesus was given for glory to your people Israel. Once again, this makes sense. If Israel is God's chosen people, then the coming of Jesus means the glory of Israel. The Redeemer has come to liberate the Jewish nation. But here's the problem with Simeon's speech. He says that Jesus will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Again, easy to gloss over this. The Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were not friends of the Jews. For generations as far back as they could remember, Jews were oppressed and enslaved by Gentiles. And they've been waiting on a Messiah to free them from the Gentiles. So when Simeon says that Jesus is the light for revelation to the Gentiles, I have to assume that this caught people's attention. Like they're leaning in. Because like if you think about this, like if, if, we, if we hate the Gentiles, then, then why do we want the Gentiles to have the light of revelation? Like, don't we want them to suffer just like we have? But it gets even worse. Simeon looks straight at Mary, this brand new mama who still has the promises of Gabriel and the songs of the angelical choir and questions of shepherds ringing in her ears. And he adds this uncertainty. He says this in verse 34. It says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simply put, what Simeon just said is that some Jews will embrace Jesus and some will reject him. Why? Don't miss this. Because he's not what they expected. Because they're not what they expected. And listen, it's important we hear this. The story of the first Christmas is not a story of tinsel and peppermint mochas and cute little babies and perfect little nativity scenes that smell like holiday candles. The story of the first Christmas story is a story of God bringing hope into a very broken dark and jacked up world. 
And Jesus did not come in the form that people expected. His redemption wasn't going to look as neat and clean as a lot of people thought. He was going to, listen, divide Israel down the middle. And then he was going to graft Israel's sworn enemies right into the family. Communicating this, that Jesus came for all people right where they are. So let me ask you, listen, let's not get up in all the history. I don't want you to, I want you to hear this. This is what I don't, I want you to ask yourself. What if, what if God wants to meet you in your waiting in a way that is different than you thought? Would you be okay with that? If God wants to enter into your waiting in a way different than you thought, or let me even ask it this way, do you want the answer to your prayer or do you want the one you're praying to? Because those are fundamentally different. Are you seeking the face of God or the things that are in his hands? Because here's, here's let's just be honest, church, can we be honest? That for many of us, what we, the way we view God is essentially like a cosmic genie in the sky. And God, I got needs, I got wants, I got desires, and so I'm going to perform well. And then I come to you, I rub the lamp, I ask for things in prayer, and then I expect you to grant me those wishes. And at any point you don't grant me those wishes, I'm going to get real frustrated and I'm probably just going to check out for a while. Or... Do we approach God and go, listen, I don't know how you're going to work all of this out. I don't know how you're going to piece it together. This is not the story that I would have written. I would have not put the pieces together like this. I don't know what you're doing. But I want you. And I want you to be near. And no matter how difficult this gets, I'm going to cling to you because your nearness is good. And that's what I want. In this season of waiting and hurting and confusion, you're what I want. Can I ask you this? Is there room in your life for God to surprise you? Is there room in your life for God to surprise you? And I'll say it this way. This is, just go with me. Because if not, if there's not room in our lives for God to surprise us, maybe, just maybe, it's not God that we're worshiping. But instead, some God that we've created in our image, that we've boxed up, that we expect to do what we desire and if he doesn't fit into our rules, we don't want anything to do with it. We, we, we hear this all the time. This is not in the notes. Listen, we hear this all the time, especially with college students. We hear something that's hard for us or something that we, that we kind of want to wrestle with. And we'll use language like, well, my God would never do that. Well, what does that mean? That your God would never do that. What we typically mean is the God that we created the God that we made up, the God that, that we come in here and we worship. But listen, you and I, we don't get to define God. He's so much bigger than that. The, he gets to define himself. And so the question is, is there space for him to surprise us in the middle of our waiting? And I just, listen, this is important. 
in our waiting, you need to know that God has not abandoned you. He cannot abandon you. He leans in. Scriptures all over the place remind us that his nearness is for our good, that, he is, that, 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 that I've made the Lord God my refuge. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Jesus is in the middle of your waiting. Let's not make the mistake of only seeing him in the ways that we can expect or predict. Last and final one is this. We wait personally with expectation. We wait personally. And I'll, I'll just say this. I don't, I don't know how you find yourself kind of walk into this gym tonight. Like, I, I don't, I'm not going to stand up here and claim to know your stories or the details of your life or like what you're carrying tonight. But here's what I do know that not a single one of you are here by accident or happenstance. And so what I don't want is I don't want us to walk in here and go, hey, Drew, this is really cool. This, is, this would be great for my neighbor or the person sitting on my row. Or, man, I, I can't wait to podcast this and give it to a friend because they need this. No, 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 no. This is for you. Like personally, God wants to enter into this space and, and speak to you, your heart, wherever you find yourself. Like one of, one of the, the names that Jesus has given is the name Emmanuel, which translates as God with us. God with us. Like he's with us. He's with you. And we have this tendency to go, no, no, God, God's with them. God's with them because they figured something out. God's with them because their church attendance is flawless. God's with them because there's the spiritual elite or God's with them because somehow they've cleaned themselves up and gotten their act together or God's with my church going grandma. No, God's with us. He's with you. He's drawing near to you. And that's a message for all of us. And here in the passage in verse 29, when we just go back to Simeon and imagine him holding this tiny baby as he looks through the tears And this is what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Translated, Simeon says, I can die a happy man now. Can I ask another question? What is your depart in peace moment? We all have one. There's something in the back of our mind or subconsciously that we're kind of holding on to or maybe it's deep in our heart. There's something that we all think that if we obtain or if we get here or if we gain this person, that all of a sudden we arrive, then we can depart in peace. What is that for you? Because you all have one. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a certain salary. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a marriage. Like you, We all have one. But I want to submit to you this. The story of the scripture is that Jesus is the only one that will satisfy 
He is the only thing that you and I can experience to fix our eyes on that we're able to say that now we can depart in peace. Everything else will leave us wanting. Everything else will leave us chasing something else. Jesus and Jesus alone. And so what is it for you? And what does it look like to shift our expectations? I'll end with this. We share it often, but it bears repeating. In this Christmas season, what we are ultimately celebrating is this. Not just a bunch of gifts wrapped. Not just a bunch of tinsel and garland and lights. But we're celebrating the fact that every one of us in this room are broken, messed up, and cannot fix ourselves. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that we're so messed up and couldn't fix ourselves that we needed a hero to actually come and rescue us and to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we ultimately deserved. That's the story of Christmas. That Jesus, the incarnation, that God, Emmanuel, that he would leave his throne room and come to planet Earth to rescue each and every one of us. It's personal. So don't miss this in this season. Wherever you find yourself in waiting, would we be active? Would we be open to what God wants to do? And would we receive it personally? I really do believe that this Christmas season, that God wants to invite us into deeper waters so that we could experience him on whole new levels. And I don't want us to miss out just because it's not exactly the way we thought it would look or roll out. So let me pray. Jesus, God, we want, we want to know you. And in this season, as we celebrate just the incarnation, that you would put on flesh and you would move into our trailer park. Father, I pray that we wouldn't get so wrapped up and just and the busyness, the stress. Father, we would carve out time to just sit with you, to know you, to pursue you, to love you. Help us to do that, Jesus. I pray for us as a church that in this Advent season that we would learn to love you more than we ever have before. And we'd experience you on whole new levels. It is your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the CBC The Rim podcast. If you like the message, then check us out at cbctherim.com. There you can learn more about our gathering times, upcoming events, or how to get more involved. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CBC The Rim. Thanks for listening.